and welcome to episode number 17 of Big Boss Battles Big Boss Babble. Here with me as always is Dan. Hello. And Toby. Hello. Here he is. Toby, you've recently got a Switch. Yes, I have. How are you loving it, sir? Oh, I'm loving it. Yes, anyway. So I went and got myself a Switch because it's amazing and I've heard so much and I'm in love with it. It is a, a fantastic piece of technology, the, the fact that I could go on for hours about how good it looks and how well it runs, but just... Nintendo's got it. Like, I know it would, people have been saying this ever since it really came up, but it is the most intelligent and well-thought-out console in ages. The simplicity of playing it in the different modes and switching over, and it's just... It's a grand old time that I can just be seeing playing Mario at my computer, then just take it out of the dock, give a control to a friend, and be something playing Overcooked with a friend just on a park bench. It's, it's great. <laughs> yes, it has got that. It's one of them things that you kind of have to experience mm, to, yes. to really get it. Someone can tell you as much as they, they can describe it down to the minutest detail, but without actually experiencing it and get it in your, in your hands. Yeah, it's something, something you don't get. So I've played on a Switch because I borrowed yours, Terry, you to did. play Flame in the Flood. And foolishly, and I suppose it's just a habit of playing various handhelds over the years, I left the uh, Joy-Cons on, on the side of it and I just played it. Played it quite happily, enjoyed it. You know, it was a handheld experience just sitting on my chair at my computer playing yeah, it. it's pretty decent. And I put it away and it was a good experience, but... It was only when I gave it back to you that I realised that I could have taken that off and turned it into the little controller. Yeah. And so I've and only... just go to the next level. Yeah, and I've only experienced part of it, as it were. And I didn't put it on the telly, and I didn't I didn't play a little co-op game oh, with well, it. And, and, that was and, my yeah. fault. You couldn't really put it on the telly because I didn't give you the dock. No, I just gave no, you the, the system. But, like, for example, I only, only really experienced one of, what, four different forms of how yeah. it can be played? Easily, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's before we even bring in there is motion control and stuff like that. Yeah. I didn't play anything local co-op. I literally just played a single-player experience with it in almost Game Gear form. In this big, <laughs> big thing in front of me with a couple of, you know, that required me arms out at full width to play it. And, it, yeah, it was enjoyable. And I, I am teetering on the edge of buying one now because I've seen the sheer amount of games that have gone over to it. Yes, I saw that on Twitter that you were searching for that. I'm so close. Yeah, yeah, and Sainsbury's, who I don't shop with, I should clarify, offered up suggested <laughs> items of gin and nappies, and it was yeah. like, wow, <laughs> okay, is this representative of of uh, Sainsbury's perceived Nintendo target uh, audience? I must admit, right, this is, this is the weird thing. It, it, since it come out, Sainsbury's has been actually um, one of the only places that has consistently had Switches in stock. When everyone else has been out of stock, Sainsbury's has somehow had some... <laughs> This is the reason that I went really to. Uh, this is the reason I went to them actually, because Sarah pointed out that consistently they have Nintendo stock, and it's true. I think I bought a. I think I bought a Wii for Sarah's. Sarah's mum, from Sainsbury's, and everywhere else was sold out, and they were selling it like thirty quid cheaper than RRP. So it was like, right, uh -huh. this is the first. This is the first place to check. But I had a look around, and they didn't have. 
they didn't have anything else. They didn't have any, you know, they didn't actually have any of the consoles on there, and everybody else was just selling it at the bog standard retail price, which feels a bit weird this late in the year, but mm. then again, it's why would Nintendo, you knock it down then. when there's that much demand? Yeah, exactly. Nintendo doesn't go down in price. Well, they normally they launch consoles normally this time of year, don't they? I can't remember when the Wii U launched, but the Wii launched yeah, the, in November, the Wii was didn't November. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the GameCube, I think, was just after the summer, so what, August, October? I remember, I remember yeah. being quite excited for it that in the summer late. holidays. I think the only other system they've released at the same time as the Switch was the 3DS. That came out in March as well. Yes, yes. And interesting, they... the 3DS did not do very well, did it? At first, it took uh, a that, year to get going. That yeah. was a communication issue. That was definitely a communication issue. I mean, I know that the whole SNES problem, well, actually the SNES wasn't a problem, but I know that in the modern day, with the audience size that Nintendo expect, SNES and NES would have been a problem, because people would have been like Super NES, so it's just a NES but with more? That doesn't make any sense. Nowadays, people are used to you, you know changing the the number at the end up one or or coming up with a completely new name and that that really hurt that really hurt really really hurt the ds the, i i was working in the shops at the time and people were so confused by the 3ds coming out they were like so it's just it's just the ds and it goes in 3d and as well and we were like well Yes and no, because there's going to be games coming out for the 3DS that simply don't... Well, the 3DS cartridges don't go into the older thing. And they're like, oh yeah, but there aren't many games. Blah, 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 blah. And it just made it an uphill struggle. And when the Wii U came out, we had the same thing. People were like, oh, if I if I want some of the games that use the tablet, I'll just pick up the tablet and pick up the game. And it's like, no, it's a completely different base system. And you've got to... <laughs> but, sorry, sorry, I'm going to go back a little bit there. For, for when you said people are used to numbers just going up. Go on. With the PlayStation, maybe. Because they're the only ones that have ever done <laughs> it. I'm sorry, but 360 is a lot higher than yeah, but exactly. no that, number. That, yeah. that, that, it's, it's, you know, the Xbox used numbers, but yeah. it's, it, they're more of a representative thing. So yeah, 360 I mean, was more because it was an all-in-one sort of system. It did a lot of media and all that kind of stuff. I'm not really sure why they called it a one. It was a bit, bit, bit bizarre. But obviously, well, they can't really. Well, the thing was that you know you had the Xbox, and to keep up with the PlayStation, the PlayStation Three, Three Sixty, you can't really go to the Xbox Four to keep up because originally it was if you want to buy the PlayStation Two or the Xbox was there, but then it was at the PlayStation Three or the Xbox Two when they came out at the same time, and you know. Would have been the Xbox Three or the PlayStation Four. They would have been on a back foot. Yeah, so they had to they had to change yeah, they, it to PlayStation Three Hundred and Sixty, which you know, sounds similar to the the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. Sounds fairly similar to the yeah. PlayStation Three. You don't think that one's an older generation? So from the start, their their naming system was kind of a bit of a bodge job. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is the PlayStation has changed the way the numbering system works. So the PlayStation and then the PlayStation 2 yeah. was the next system. And Whereas in the past, it hasn't been like that. It's literally been a different version. So you had the Master System and the Master System 2 were the same system. It was just a redesign. 
Oh. And the Mega Drive had a Mega Drive 1, a Mega Drive 2, and a Mega Drive 3, all exactly the same system, just a redesign. Whereas Sony's flipped it and gone, okay, so then this system was what, the, the PlayStation, then PlayStation 2, and but then their redesigned ones have got different names, like Slim and Super Slim and, and things like that. They flipped and everything on its head as, as away from what was done before. And the PlayStation 1, as in P-S-O-N-E, was the little one that would fit in the mega bag of Walker's Crisps, wasn't it? Yes, the little tiny one. The little tiny one. And and not the PSX that everyone still determines is determined to call it, even though it was never called that, and it's an actually separate product, which still gets on my nerves to this day. That was an odd thing. You'll have to go into that one week. I noticed that suddenly it became PSX at some point, and I think I've even used it in passing. But uh, well, there was even it... a magazine called PSX. That was the thing as well. Well, like, it... that might be where it came from. I don't know. But obviously, the yeah. PSX was a completely separate product further down the road. Go on. Anyway, completely different conversation. Okay. Don't go on. <laughs> All right, I, I will. <laughs> I will yeah. go on then. <laughs> and then we'll return to the switch. Yeah. Yeah. So the PSX, for those who don't know, was actually a PlayStation Two that had a built-in cable receiver and DVR functionality. <gasps> DVR. That sat in the living room, and it was the first, and it and it was the first Sony console to have the cross-media bar interface. So, so it the was interface a pl- that was used on the uh, the PSP and the PlayStation Three was on the, the PSX. So experience. In PlayStation 2. Sorry. Was it X for experience? No, it was the cross media bar. That's what it was called. It was oh, the XMB. Okay. Yeah, where you had you know media, photos, the, the, the games, and all that kind of stuff in the long list of the separate menus. But yeah, it was the first one to use it, and you yeah, you, you could actually record your gameplay from the PlayStation Two directly onto a DVD because it had a DVD writer in it as well. Not only a hard drive, it had a DVD writer in it as well that could <laughs> so it could burn TV straight onto DVDs and. Yeah, all kind of stuff. But yeah, big white unit it was. But the issue is in Japan. The issue is then that with iterations, uh, it becomes awkward to refer to the first one. So whenever we talk about the original Xbox, we say the original Xbox. Yeah. Uh, You can't say the Xbox One. Like you might say PlayStation One now because it's the first one of the group, but you can't do that with the Xbox because the latest one is the Xbox One. But PlayStation confuses everybody. PlayStation 1 is just a weird thing to write down. Like, it's almost like everybody avoids writing down PS1, as in, yeah. Yeah, unless you are specifically referring to the small one, like you mentioned, which that is his actual name. That's it. That's just a weird thing. Anyway, the Switch. Come on. Yeah, it's great. Great, (laughs) (laughs) It's a It's a proper Nintendo console. Reinvention, yeah. Well, like I was, I was posted in the in the in the message board the other day that I I downloaded uh, Pinball FX and it's the first game that I've seen that one not only can you play it in a vertical formation, so the pinball machine just shows up in the in the thing, you can play it completely with a touchscreen, so you can hold oh, it verti- vertically and play it just with a touchscreen as if you were playing it on say a mobile phone. Yeah, and I was like, that, the touchscreen seems cool. odd. There's a touchscreen, but I can't. Nothing uses it. Actually, you, I've I found a lot of things do. It's just that you wouldn't expect them to. So, say like, or you, or you, you know, because there's not a touchscreen on any other system that has the, that particular game, you would have thought they haven't programmed it in, but they have. 
So like Portal Knights has got, you know, inventory management and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And on every other system, you wouldn't even think to do it. But on the Switch, you can just go touch, drag that there, move that there, do this, do that. And it just works. No, I've got and it's, it's more sample size, of course. Yeah, and, and a lot of games, that you, even on most games that might not do anything else, but on the touch screen, on the title screen, if it says press A to start, you touch the screen, it starts the game. <gasps> it's pretty much always there. It's pretty cool. But yeah, there's not many games that really use it. There's that, there's that one music game, I think, Voice, which is specifically a touchscreen only experience. So the the vertical flipping that the uh, that it has is that like auto detected, like on a phone, or do you have to set that in the menu? No, because uh, I mean, obviously, the system has got accelerometers in it, but they're in the Joy Cons. Gotcha. Yeah. So. It doesn't do it automatically. You have on on a Pinball FX3, for example, you just press X and the whole screen just rotates. It's a bit odd because none of the cases I've seen support anything like vertical. It's all horizontal. That was the next. No, I was I was hoping the other day because I've, I mean I've got a little kickstand on my phone case that makes it work vertically and horizontally. I was hoping Ooh. the kickstand was low enough that it would hold it up vertically, but it doesn't, and I was a bit disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, that was my next question because I've seen it deployed with a with a back kickstand, but uh, but I didn't know if it would work on a vertical setting. And there's a lot of games that would work on a vertical setting as well. Uh, you yeah. think about shoot 'em ups or shmups. Yeah. There's a lot of vertical shmups. Actually, you know, you bring it up. I think some of the games on the Namco Museum work vertically as well. Cool. So things like Pac-Man that were originally a vertical screen in the arcade, I think they work vertically on the Switch. I forgot that that went over to the Switch. And, and when you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember him saying, Dan, you should get a Switch now. It's got Rolling Thunder on it. Oh yes, it has. Yes, yeah. yeah Rolling Thunder and Rolling Thunder 2, I believe, there is on go. that. Yeah, Rolling Thunder 2, the musical. <laughs> yeah. Presumably... You could kind of sort of set it up vertically, the kickstand, but I wouldn't want to really try that. <laughs> no, I tried it on my desk and it was very flimsy. Yeah. That, that's going to fall over quickly. Yes. So, so. But, I mean, what... I, was, I was able to play Pinball FX3 using a Joy-Con vertically with one hand, and that was okay. quite cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It would work that way. Because it was a bit would... odd, because when, when we're using it vertically... Uh, it was the B and the X buttons were the left and right flippers, so all the controls uh, were over literally one side. Yeah. Whereas normally on a pinball game on a console, you'd have, say, X and left on the Joy-Con would be the two flippers. But, yeah, it just uses the two buttons. Yeah. Switching it to two-player mode is a bit odd. That It'd be nice if there was a dedicated button on them. Change, because, you know, you're playing a two-player game and you want to go back to playing your own thing. You have to keep it in the two-player mode to navigate around still. Does... Well, it's not, it's not really a big deal because in, in two-player yeah. mode you're just holding a little controller so you just flip it across, yeah. go to change yeah, grip order, put two yeah, triggers. It's just a little annoying. Or the easiest way to do it in that case actually is to put, the, put them back on the system. Yeah, true, true. And true. they go back into you know what would be one-player handheld mode mm. and then when you pull them up they become yes. one player again. So you just even if you just slid them on and slid them back off, it's done. So oh, Pinball cool. FX 3... Mm. Yeah. Can you can you import can you import in your tables from two? Is it like the others? Um, 
obviously on the Switch, no, because there wasn't no. a previous version. There's um, no way to import them across platforms. I wouldn't have thought so. But I mean, it it, it does look like it does look like on the PC you probably can because in in the list it's all of the old tables that well not all of them actually. There's some that are missing. That I think licenses ran out for like uh, you can't get Plants vs Zombies anymore. Uh, and some of the other ones. The Bethesda ones are really good. The the Skyrim ones got a story mode in it and everything. Yeah, I only found I've got, out. I've got that on my phone. The Bethesda pinball. Yeah. I'd love to get Bethesda pinball. It looks great. Sorry, no, just uh, Skyrim even on the Switch. I was talking about. Yeah, I mean, I only found out about the Bethesda pinball tables because we put the pinball stuff yes. on for a moment for the kids, and Amelia bought it by mistake uh, on oh, someone dear. else's card that we had on the Xbox. Oh. So, uh, and it turned out to be really good. We were like, we should get our money's worth, and played it for a little bit, and it was like, <laughs> yeah, this has a story and leveling up and skill upgrades and progression and an inventory system. And it's like this, what? So that's that set my expectations high for future FX license stuff, but uh, we'll mm, see how yeah. that goes. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so what games have you got on on your Switch, Toby? I have Super Mario Odyssey, uh, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle, and Overcooked. Ooh. Overcooked is a winner. I mean, you've got to have that anyway, haven't you? Yeah, so a nice little mix of games. That's it. And, yeah, uh, and have you played much Mario vs. Rabbids? Because I still haven't played any of it. Yeah, so I've been playing that. I, I found it very difficult. It gets difficult very quickly, and I'm currently stuck on a little sub-boss at the moment. Oh, it's yeah, good my, fun. It's my son very, found um, it quite difficult. I think he got to the second world. He said, and he said basically, oh. he, he told me that basically you got through the first world relatively easy, and then the second world it just the, the difficulty went just straight through the roof, almost. Well, instantly. He's doing better than me though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have, have, someday I'll sit down with like a walkthrough or something and try and get past this very difficult boss. Have you played XCOM? Yes, I. You have. Do love XCOM. <laughs> He played XCOM no. and he's having difficulty with a Mario game. That's why I want to if, check. With XCOM, with XCOM I can have, like, chances and hiding behind cover and you know, plan my long-range attack and Overwatch. Yeah. There's no really Overwatch. Mario has Overwatch. Yeah. I like the <laughs> difficulty and the, the, the complexity of XCOM. Makes much more sense to me than this, where it's just if you're hiding behind cover, they can't hurt you. If you're side-on, they can do Maybe damage. There's, there's no, you know, the further away the, the, the less chance of a hit there is. It's just, are they in the open? Yeah, then you get a hundred percent shot. Oh blow me! Interesting though. Uh, I'll have to give it a go anyway at some point. I, I... It is good fun. It's good fun. Just, uh, just a bit hard at times, and yeah. when you're not aware of the mechanics, or when it hasn't quite, mm. the mechanics haven't quite been uh, translated That's across. probably it as well, that I'm still used to the, the, the uh, asymmet- the, the square, the square tile based, turn based stuff, I'm still used to thinking in XCOM terms. Yes. Just throw a grenade and shred the cover. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the way it's made, it's it's very it's very open for a new player to the genre. But if you're yeah. used to something more complicated, it's also quite odd to play because you're missing a lot of things. Yes, thank you. Right, yeah, I'll use okay. that. 
Mm. Yeah, I still haven't played it because it's not. I've never been a, a turn-based strategy kind of guy. But yeah, I, my son wanted it for his birthday, so so he got it. Yeah, I will play it at some point because Dan wants me to play XCOM with him at some point as well. So I need at least to try, try and get into the genre. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you some XCOM and I'm gonna show you some like pretty simple civilization. Probably go over some Crusader Kings with you as well. To you know, be honest, Civ's fine. I played through the first three of them. I've just not carried on yeah. with the series. We're old men now. We're meant to we're meant to shift from uh, Twitch based game games to uh, strategy as we get older. It's it's a thing apparently. I'm told. See, I'm I'm more I've I've moved more into the base building genre. Mm, nothing wrong with that. You can do that in XCOM. <laughs> <laughs> you can build a nice big base. It's not quite yeah, the same. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I very much doubt XCOM's got a peaceful mode where you can just build a nice house and not have to worry about a sniper taking you out randomly while you're putting in your windows. So that was a nice big talk on the. Switch. It was. So let's move on then to the uh, the big boys of the industry creating their own indie labels. What what's the point in calling them indie? Because they're not, are they? Really? Let's be honest. Yeah. So so this was kind of my topic. Uh, This this is regarding Private Division, uh, which is a label under Take Two. Uh, Obviously, they're the owners of Two K. And also the owners of Rockstar, so it's about as big as it gets, really. Uh, outside of EA and Activision, uh, the household names are under under the brands of Take Two. So they've started their own indie label. So they're going to be reaching out to developers who are developing on their own, taking the projects under their wings, slapping their name on it, helping them with marketing, helping them with distribution, helping them with advertising, and all of that, you know, classic publisher stuff. And publishing the games. At which point, we are now at a point, almost certainly, where calling something an indie label is pretty ridiculous. And people should be, I guess, moving away from calling things indie. We need to get back to calling things by what genre they are. You know, maybe talking about the sake of budgets or the size of teams. Uh, And talking about publishers... Talking about publishers as an entity again, because we've just come off a back, off the back of about ten years, where any big game was really, let's face it, kind of developed in house or an exception to the rule. Yeah, that makes it's very sense. true. Yeah, I mean, ten years ago, we had Bethesda released. I think it was Oblivion. Ten years ago. Yeah, that uh, would have been about ten years ago now. Yeah. And 2K, who at the time were owned, obviously, as they still are, by Take-Two, released Bioshock 2007. And the two games were distributed by Ubisoft, who are undoubtedly kind of the the, the third big publisher in the world uh, when it comes to kind of units shifted and people knowing the name, even though Take-Two definitely have more of a household rep. Uh... And yeah, so Ubisoft distributed both of those games. But distribution now is something that's like not even really discussed. 
because physical games are very much in the back seat. They're still important, they're critical, especially this time of year. But distribution is something that people talk about much later down the line. So so now we're now we're back to a point where we were eleven or twelve or thirteen years ago during the PS two era, where anybody could release a game for a platform. And only the games that were picked up by publishers were the ones that were heavily marketed. But that didn't mean that a game was a bad game because it wasn't being marketed. So do we... How how do, does the industry start classifying games again? Now that indie doesn't mean anything. Toby. Indeed. Well, no, I, mean, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Because, because like you say, I mean, Square Enix have been doing it for ages as well, haven't they? They've been putting out indie games and just slapping, wee, Square Enix at the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, THQ Nordic, although THQ Nordic do actually tend to buy up the the little indie devs that they use, which is nice to see, to be honest, considering the throwaway nature that other people treat them with. Yeah, but uh, no, I definitely agree with the fact that we need to drop the indie moniker because a lot of the time now there's there's nothing really to distinguish between the two. Calling We've a seen game some absolutely fantastic games come out from indie studios that easily match up to the AAA stuff that's coming out, even surpass it in many ways. So there's not really any point. I mean, it used to be the fact that you know it's an indie game because it looks like a NES game. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's what it was for a while, wasn't it? The pixel art was the biggest thing out there at the time. But that's because of the budget. I mean, you, you yeah. look at you look at when Indie Game the movie came out, which is what kicked off the consoles kind of accepting these smaller studios that were yep. literally a man in a van or a man in a garage or a or a lady in a garage or a lady in a van. Uh, the, the games that started that off were kind of Fez, Super Meat Boy, etc. Cave Story, yeah. Uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff, but kind of Xbox Live Arcade games, uh, yep. the PlayStation Indie Store, uh, Nintendo got stuff as well. Steam, Steam shortly after started accepting and being less picky. Uh, and that, that movement happened, and when it happened, sure, it was a rarity, people finishing a project of that scale. Uh, Spelunky was another, another one that's definitely worth mentioning, and I can never yep. remember the name of the game that, the, that, uh, that Derek, you worked on before, uh, but that was another one that kind of did really well, but was deemed small scale because it was, you know, two core people. But back then, yes, that was indie because it was so rare that a game did well and reached a big audience without a publisher. You were independent. Uh, and music has gone through the same thing and film has gone through the same thing wherein indie used to for a while mean not signed on to anything and then it kind of meant a bit different and then it faded away it's an odd thing yeah it's very true it does it does need to move on i just think it's funny that you know nowadays you've got this independent developer thing whereas back when gaming was in its infancy the indie scene was the entire scene. It was, yeah. That was all there was back you know, back in the early, you know, the Spectrum and 
Commodore 64 days, there weren't big publishers at all. It was all people in their bedrooms just making games. But then the money got into it and people started buying out other smaller companies and it, it gobbled up. And now we're looking at a kind of retraction of that where there is a degree of power available for the people that, I suppose, luck out as well because there's obviously dozens of games released every day and we, we barely hear about one of them. But... But the opportunity is there again, like it was all those years ago. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it, really? Mm. I mean, Toby, what are your thoughts on this? I'm, I, I hate to, to always drag you in like you're, you're some young buck, but uh, <laughs> but what are, what are your thoughts I on mean, this? I mean, definitely it is becoming the less of a, hey, here's two people who made a game and a basement here's a massive company it should be more of a continuum just of the scale that you know indie uh a's are making small indies and indies are, are slowly growing into big studios but we should always try and think of it more as a, of a continuum now of the scale and the number of people and the amount of time and man hours put into a certain game because even a small game a single person working on it every evening can become something great. Like uh, Stardew, I think, is just a couple of people every evening or something crazy yeah. like that. I may be wrong, though. No, no, well, no. You, if, if, if you want to take, you know, the one, one to the extreme, the early days of Minecraft, that was one yes. dude. And yeah. now it's literally the biggest game ever. <laughs> and, mm. and you look at uh, things like Owlboy, which took half a decade. Wow. Probably, probably actually a decade yeah. to finish and get out, and that was an absolutely exceptional game. But yeah, it was one person, and if they had enough money when they started, and they had got ten people on board, it would have probably been finished in a tenth of the time. So, yeah, the the studio size and the money behind it, and the, all of these are considerations. You you put it very well by by using the the term continuum. Stanley Parable was, I think. A single person, so crazy. I, I think it's that's. Like that. I think it's two or three people. I think was that Crows, yeah. Crows, Crows, or was it under another? Under I, know, another I think Stanley Parable is slightly a slight different entity because it was originally a mod. Yes, and then he then... kind of got picked up to make it into a set of separate games. Yeah. So, bit of a different thing there, but it's, yes, it's still certainly an independent thing and a very good project at that. Strange thing. Uh, so calling something sure. an in indie game is a bit of a waste of breath unless you're talking to people who only play the top three or four games every year, I suppose. How do we differentiate between uh, Stardew and whatever Jupiter plays? You say they're, they're both indie, but they're not the same. They're, they're, they're worlds apart. That's it, exactly. It, it becomes, I suppose it becomes scaled based on man hours, but then it also, mm. as ever, becomes scaled based on the quality of the auteur, because obviously you can have somebody mm. spend a thousand hours making something, but, you know, not be competent, not have confidence, mm. muddle through, delete their stuff, restart, etc., and, and put out something that at the end they're not happy with, and it shows. But then on the same part, you can have some people sit down for two days in a game jam, release a game, and 
it's exceptional. It deserves to go on mm. to find a massive audience. It's yeah, it's just interesting. It's hard to define. It needs to be an age of curators and curation rather than labels, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and get rid of just the um, indie and AAA thing and either create new titles or find some way to have more than just a binary option. Yeah, I agree. And you you can't you can't even say mainstream now because there's there's literally about five games that are mainstream, maybe ten yeah. series yeah. that are mainstream, and everything else is kind of either a, a mid tier or a big budget title or a big team title or a big effort title or whatever you want to call it that that lucks out and pushes up into it. You you look at the game sales charts at the end of every week or month or whatever and ignoring the fluctuations you're seeing the same names there so we need to kind of disregard that and we need to look at games that push into new things and try new things and yeah yeah well yeah I bought this up a couple of weeks ago didn't I is the the triple A is just completely stagnant it is the same stuff over and over again just yearly titles they can't change it too much because if they change it too much then they lose that consistency which is what the audience want. They want they want small steps forwards. You look at something like uh, FIFA versus Football Manager. Football Manager has no fear of pushing forwards. Every year they'll do 400, 500 plus updates and upgrades on the system because what people are really looking for is a simulation and a heavy database. And yeah. so they've got room to fluctuate things. Once again, they still can't change things too much. They can't go around and say, this isn't Football Manager, this is Soccer Legends. Uh, but... <laughs> no, but the, the, thing that, no, the, thing, the thing that is about Soccer Manager, though, is that their community is so uh, sort of insular and so cl- and the, yeah. the devs do listen to it. So all yeah. the updates that happen have literally come from the community in the first place. So it's not like they're just going off and doing stuff randomly. It's just stuff that the the, the user base has asked for most of the time. Because I've looked into Football Manager stuff before. You are correct. So, you know, they do do a load of updates, but a lot of it has come from the community saying, well, wouldn't it be better if we do this, or this doesn't work particularly well, we wanted to do this, da 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 So in in that respect, because it is a very insular community... It all comes from them, but I do agree with your point that obviously that, that you can't go and change a, a game wildly, in in general speak. Otherwise, people are just going to turn on it. I mean, yeah, it's it's very rare that a series has gone on for ages and then had a core entry that has massively twisted the the centre stuff. It's only if it's been established from the start, like Final Fantasy, for instance that it's going to change over each time, that people have kind of got on with it. And even then, there's massive rifts in the Final Fantasy community about which game is better. But Yeah. yeah. And see, I've, I don't like Civilization anymore since, since I went to the Hexes. That's, right. that's, my, that's my story. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a mistake, and I, I, urge you to change, I urge you to change your mind, because Hexes are... You know, actually superior. It just takes some getting used to. But oh, they've got but six sides. It's too, it's too complicated. I just yeah. got my four sides. But the other one, you could so, move diagonally, so it was actually eight sided. Yeah. Oh, it's late. I'm tired. Shush. Uh, <laughs> Don't try and confuse me. Argument dismantled. <laughs> 
I, I had the same conversation, actually. I said, oh, five, this seems like more than four. Doesn't that change? And someone was like, no, because you could move diagonally, so it's eight. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I'll find something else to moan about. Uh, ah, so you just destroyed me with an argument that destroyed you at one exactly, point. Exactly, exactly. So don't worry too much. Don't worry too much. <laughs> Excellent. But Civ is anyway. another one that reinvents itself, actually, on that subject. So. A ten-sided square. <laughs> a four-dimensional space. Ah, just... oh, no. You, you can, can you imagine that? Civ, Civ 4D. Terrograms. Oh, no. Every Ter- character moving on a hypercube. <laughs> <laughs> you play a match on the surface of a Klein glass. Actually, speaking of that, have you seen? There's there's videos of a game that someone's developing online that is a 4D adventure game. Oh, is that the one where where you move in the world that the world changes? Yeah, obviously it looks really bizarre from our perspective, but it works correctly. Is this with a cube? Yes, I, I saw this a while ago. I just my head hurt. Is this a cube with spaces cut away from it? No, no. This is this is literally. I'll have to I'll have to show you a video, and maybe if if I find the video, we'll put it in the description of the podcast as well. I, I found a, I, when I was in Sweden, I met up with Portaponky, uh, Shambles Software, who made Recursed, which is a brilliant game about recursiveness. You can take objects inside other objects, but when you leave the object, the stuff inside the object doesn't exist anymore. So you have to take an object inside an object, then another instance of the object inside the other instance of the object, then remove items from within to solve puzzles outside, but not obviously having to go back in, because then it's a new instance. Which is pretty cool, but confusing. I've Uh, just gone cross-eyed. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's how you make a TARDIS. And it's really good. It's really, really good. I think that's how you're supposed to make a TARDIS. What, put an item... Inside itself. Possibly. Yes. Yeah. You put a large object inside the small object. But then you put... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really good puzzle game, actually. Very simple in appearance, but absolutely fantastic. And then there's stuff like you can go inside an object that's submerged in water, and so everything inside it is now submerged in water. But then you can go inside the object that was inside itself to go in... It's very cool. Uh but yeah, so the, the the game that the guy was working on next, or the idea that he was working on next, was a big 3D cube. Uh, and obviously you can see each side, but you're inside the object, and then the outside of the object is infinitely looping because it's 4D. So if you cut away an edge, and then cut away another edge, and cut away another edge, you can see the side that you're standing on, and you can drop, say, an object through one side. Yeah. So it, it, it's essentially like Portal, but with... But you're on the inside of an object, able to see every outside of the uh, object. Uh, it's completely, completely mind blowing. I hadn't drunk anything uh, at the time, and I kind <laughs> of wish that I had. But <laughs> very, very smart developer that guy. But uh, the uh, other, that the other video Terry is hurting my head. The other thing that you lot, yeah, but oh, sorry, this yeah, saying that video is hurting my head isn't very. Brilliant on a podcast of a audio That's, nature. I have uh, to like go said, find it now. We'll, we'll put the link. I've put it in the in the yes. podcast channel, Dan. I'll, we'll, we'll put the yeah. link in the description of the of the podcast so you can see oh, it as well. I but saw it's this one. 3D yeah. map as a 4D. A, yeah, a 3D map as a 4D. That's the seed for a 4D world. Yeah, but this. Uh, I mean, this of, this video explains it in a particularly good way because he explains it by showing you the the jump yeah. from 2D to 3D 
So, so yeah. then when you see it happen from 3D to 4D, it kind of makes sense. and it's. it's I think, kind yeah, of kind of with Fez, it's a 3D world which you move about, move about in 2D. This is a 4D world which you move about in 3D. I think yeah, it would probably be the basically. best. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is a good, a good way of putting it, yeah. I did. Obviously, a, a lot of people can't visualise in their head what moving through a 4D landscape would look like because it is completely alien to our 3D yeah. minds. It's hard enough just understanding that there's such a thing as 4D, but then, yeah, our brains are made only freedom. Indeed. I have... Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of this week's uh, podcast. Oh. So, uh, from me, Dan and Toby... Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.